Father, we praise you. We thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you love us, that you protect us. We thank you, Father, that you gave your only son for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you willingly laid your life down for us and that you took all the wrath that we deserved. We thank you that we now are clothed with your righteousness. We thank you that you have adopted us into your family. We thank you for your promises that are true and right and that we have nothing to fear when we're in Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Good morning. Hey, just a couple of further announcements. There's something called the Finishers Project, and it is happening the first weekend in October. And if you know what, what's that dating, online dating thing called? What is it? eHarmony. So eHarmony matches up people that want to get married with other people that want to get married. What Finishers Project does, it's an eHarmony for missions. So if you have a desire to go to the mission field, whether it be short-term or long-term missions, what they do is they connect you with missions agencies. And they are having a project at Evangelical Free Church October 9th and 10th. And we feel like this is so important that we've made some scholarships available. It's $49 to go. It's Friday night and Saturday night. And if you'd like to go and be a part of it, we'd love to be able to send you there. It's $49. We have 10 scholarships. And uh, just talk to me or talk to uh, Carol or Doyle Simmons. Yes, sir. Friday night and all day Saturday. That's October 10th and 11th. Thank you very much. 9th and 10th. That's what I said. Okay, thank you. Also would like to just encourage you all to be praying for Mark and Darby Babb's son, uh, Jordan. He'll be headed uh, to Iraq or Afghanistan or somewhere over there in the next few weeks. So if you pray for him, just that God would protect him and... And uh, just bring them back healthy and that the Lord would keep them near. That would be great. And one other prayer request, um, we have four units for sale on Automation Drive, as you know, the four units that we used to occupy. All four of them were under contract. All four of them were out of contract. All, um, all the contracts have fallen through. We've got a potential buyer out there right now. We are not anxious. I'd ask you not to be anxious as well. God is in complete control. And we will move and we will build or we will rent on his perfect timing. But if you would just pray for wisdom for the leadership team as we navigate these waters and ask the Lord what he has for us. Well, today we are going to start Genesis chapter 12. And Genesis chapter 12 is one of the most foundational chapters in all the Bible. If you miss chapter 12 of Genesis, you miss the storyline of the entire word of God. And I, I think of, Joey, if you bring that first slide up there. In the, the first 11 chapters, we've spent the last two and a half months going through the first 11 chapters. Those are the generations of the heavens and earth, the generations of Adam, of Noah, of Noah's sons, and of Shem. And Dean spent time in chapter 10 and chapter 11 the last few weeks. Those 11 chapters make up almost 2,000 years of history. We're now going to start in chapter 12, and we're going to navigate our way through chapter 50 that you can't see. And that chapter 12 through 50 takes up about 300 years. So the first 11 chapters of the Bible is about half the history of the entire Bible. Now we're going to focus on on the uh, patriarchal history, chapter 12 through 50. And there's a couple of things I want you to remember that are going to be pertinent for our study as we go through the Word. One is, is if you remember... After the boat, the ark docked, the ground 
dried up. Noah and his family got off the boat. There was sin. It became clear and evident that sin was still alive in the human race. If you remember Ham, Noah's son sinned against him. And we're not sure exactly what happened, but Noah was naked and Ham saw him somehow. We don't know all the details. But after that incident, Noah cursed Ham's son, Canaan. Really important to remember that Noah cursed Ham's son, Canaan, his grandson. Noah's grandson, Canaan, was cursed. Right after that, Noah blessed Shem. Noah said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. So as we navigate through these waters, it's important to remember that the line of Shem is blessed. The line of Canaan is cursed. I was looking back through my notes for when I I taught on the first sin in chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis. And I was looking at the key lessons in Genesis that we were going to see. And I put that down again. The key, the key lessons in Genesis, that's from chapter 1 all the way through 50, is that God is holy and He will judge sin. God is holy and He will judge sin. We saw that happen in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, that God judged it. There was consequences for that sin. We saw it in the ark, or before the ark. God said that every thought and intention of man's heart is continually wicked. And then we saw it in Babel. We saw it in Babel where the, where the nations or the, the people were, were hunkering down together and their hearts were evil and God dispersed them. So God is holy and He'll judge sin. Next we see that God is merciful. Back in Genesis 3.15 when Adam and Eve sinned, there were consequences for the sin, but there was great mercy. And that mercy was from the promised seed from Eve or the offspring from Eve that was going to crush the serpent which is the greatest news on the planet. We saw mercy in the ark. We saw that God kept the line of the seed alive through uh, Noah and his family. We see that God is sovereign, that God has a plan from the beginning until the end to redeem mankind. And then we see in Genesis that Genesis commands a response. It's not just cutesy fairy tales. It demands a response. It demands a response of obedience and faith. And uh, we looked at this uh, at our community group the other night. And uh, kind of looked ahead and I said, folks, what are some of the observations you see in chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, which is what we're going to cover today? And one gentleman says, you know what, it, it seems very similar to what happened with Noah. I'm going, you know, you're exactly right. And I could have titled this message the same as I did when we looked at the, uh, the message of Noah. And that was the cost and the blessing of obedience. The cost and the blessing of obedience. And there's always a cost to obedience. And there's always a blessing when we're obedient. Remember that Genesis is written by who? Noses. Moses. I won't make that mistake twice. Although Nancy was, uh, we went down to Colorado Springs yesterday for a soccer tournament, and I had Nancy just reading Genesis for me. And I love it, because she said, Noses. And the reason that comes up is when you, when you start talking about Noah, and then you're reminded that Moses wrote it, humor me. All of us do it. It's Noses. But this is really important. When you're reading Genesis, that Genesis was written by Moses to the Israelites after they made the exodus from Egypt, before they made it to the promised land. 
And the best way to picture Genesis is Moses, Grandpa Moses, just telling his story to the Israelites. This is very important because this was written for them in that day and age, but it's also written for us. So remember, this is written for them. A couple of questions that we need to answer. What is the name of this land that the Israelites were going to go to? The name of the land, the name of the promised land was Canaan. Why was it Canaan? Because that's where the descendants of Canaan, Ham's son, Noah's grandson, settled. Another question we have to answer is, who inhabits it? The offspring of Canaan. Who promised it? God promised it. Who was the land promised to? Abraham. It was actually promised to the Israelites, the descendants of Abram. Why is this such a big deal? We're just going to have to see over the coming weeks and months. I love this in Joshua 24, verses 2 through 3. Joshua, at the very end of his life, after he had led the Israelites into the promised land, after Moses, after he took the baton from Moses, led them into the promised land, and now he's at the end of his life, and he says this, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Folks, before we jump into this, I want to just talk to you for a minute about a dilemma that I have that this verse answers for me. And the dilemma that I have, and it might not be unlike the dilemma that a lot of you have, is that I try to live a life of obedience. There are times when I hear the Lord telling me to do something, and I do it. When I spent 20 years as a stockbroker, I felt the Lord clearly telling Nancy and I to leave that vocation and to do something else. I clearly knew that. What I think he was calling me to, though, was something else. What he was calling me to, what what I felt he was calling me to was starting some businesses and buying real estate. What he ended up calling me to was something different. Now, when we look at Abram and Abraham, Abraham has obeyed God without question at times. And there's been other times where he has missed the mark. He has operated out of fear and self-protection. And it really brings comfort to my heart to study a man like Abram that has walked so imperfectly because I live a life, quite honestly, of self-protection. I live a life where I'm not willing to get out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to take some risks as long as I can see what's out there. I believe I would not have left the brokerage business if I knew what the Lord had for me. See, oftentimes I want to obey when I know what the Lord's, what it is I'm obeying. And I think some of you can relate with what I'm saying. A verse that I have wrestled with time and time again is Matthew 10, verses 37 through 39. Would you turn to that with me for a minute? Matthew 10, verses 37 through 39. And as Jesus talking to his disciples, and Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I understand that right here. 
but I don't understand it right here. What does it mean to love God more than I love my wife and more than I love my kids? What does that mean? I live such a life of self-protection where my prayers more times than not are for protection of my family, not for sanctification of my family. My prayers more often than not are for protection of people in the neighborhood, not for salvation of people in the neighborhood. How about you? Are there, are there comforts? Are there things that you're holding back from the Lord? Is there money? Is there people? Are there your kids? I love my kids. And one of the, and I may have shared this with you before, so just bear with me if I have. But I live a life of fear a lot. And one of the primary ways I live a life of fear is my kids. I don't want anything to happen to them. I remember after Tom Harkis' son Chatty died two years ago. I was so fearful after that. And I think there's a part of it where it's natural, where God's made us because He's given us such love for our families. But He doesn't want us to live a life of fear. He wants us to live a life of surrender. Holding our family, holding our resources, holding our home, our jobs, our comforts, our perceived rights, our plans for vacations, to hold it like this. Because this life is but a vapor. The life of Abraham is an example to us on how to walk a surrendered life. Abraham truly walked through life like this. Occasionally he'd grab it back, and then God would gently open his hands again. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. Literally means leave all your comforts. Leave everything you know, Abram. The call came, leave Leave your kindred, which means distant relatives, and your father's house. Leave your immediate family. And he says to go where? To the land that I will show you. And this is the way God operates, more times than not. In our world of wanting to figure everything out and have the answer before we take that step, so often I'm not willing to take that step until God shows me what the end result looks like. And he told Abram to leave it all. Family, Everything that he found comfortable. God isn't telling him where to go yet. He's just telling him to obey. Now this is the second time apparently that Abram was called to leave. This is the second time. This is important as we build the foundation. If you turn to Acts 7 verses 2 through 4. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran. And said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans to live in, and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there and into the land in which you are now living. If you take a look at this map real quick, I wish I had a pointer, but I don't. But in the bottom right-hand corner is Ur, or that's the, Chal- the area of the Chaldeans, Mesopotamia, if you will. And Abram and his father and his entire family went up to Haran on their way down to to Canaan, which is where Damascus, Shechem, and Hebron is. And why do you think that they went up to Haran rather than going straight across? It's desert. It's desolate. That's where Moses and the Israelites wandered. So he went up to Haran, and where we see him now in chapter 12, verse 1, is in Haran when he gets the call. And he leaves after his father dies in Haran, basically giving him the permission to go ahead and go. And some would say that Abraham disobeyed the first call, that God called him to go and keep going. To me, it doesn't seem that, that, like that's the case. 
I really feel like what the Lord told me is, is to leave Ur, head up to Haran, and wait. And so often that happens with the Lord, doesn't it? Where He tells us to go a certain direction, and then we listen. He says, wait. And he says, turn right. Turn left. And you know, this whole building thing at the Windsor Community Church, I think, is, is kind of that way. And one of our verses, one of our, uh, our theme verses is in Proverbs. I think it's Proverbs 9, where it says, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And if you want a textbook way of knowing and understanding the way to follow the Lord, is to seek Him as you make plans. But then, don't hold on to those plans like this. Hold on to them like this. And we're going to see this all throughout the life of Abram. Is that, that he had plans based on where he believed the Lord was taking him, but he held these plans like this. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Scoop back up top, and I will make a great nation of you. Okay, this is Israel. He's going to make a great nation, the nation of Israel. Abraham is the father of Israel. And there's two types of descendants that come from Abraham. There's physical and there's spiritual. We're going to see in a minute that you are spiritual descendants as Gentiles and believers in Jesus Christ of Abraham. The Jews are physical descendants. God tells Abram that God will make his name great. Contrast that with Babel, where the people sought to make a name for themselves. Nobody makes a name for themselves. The only one that can truly make a name for somebody is God. And when he does, he should get all the glory and the honor and the praise. Contrast Abraham's life with what was going on in Babel. He says he'll make his name great so that you'll be a blessing. God always blesses so that we can bless others. He always blesses so we can bless others. He doesn't bless us just to hang on to it. In him who dishonors, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The God who promised to bruise the serpent's head is zooming in. And he's going to continue the lineage of Eve, the one who's going to bruise the serpent's head right through Abram and bring forth the Messiah. I love this in Galatians, chapter 3, 7 and 9. The Apostle Paul's talking to Gentiles. This is unbelievable. Know then that it is those of faith who are Gentiles by faith. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Do you realize that the gospel is clear in Genesis? It's as clear in Genesis as it is in the New Testament. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Skip over to verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Did you know that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you are sons and daughters of Abraham? And there's a, there's a DVD that Chris brought back from the worship conference. It's called Sisters and Brothers. 
I'm wondering if that's the theme. I'll have to listen to that again. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Actually, you know what? I've got a different version here. And it said, Abram said, God, I will go. Would you tell me first what it's going to look like and where it is you're taking me? God, I've spent all these years building this successful business. I think this is in my version. I will, I will go after I can sell my business. I'll go after I have all my ducks in a row. No. Abraham, Abraham said, it says this. So Abraham went. He didn't ask any questions. He went. He didn't know the answers. He went as the Lord had told him. And Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. He did not know where he was going for sure, other than the Lord told him he was going to go, that he needed to go, and that he was going to be blessed. Now, this cracks me up. Now, even though Abram lived a lot longer than you and I live, I think he lived to about 200 years old, 190 years old, something like that. And he's 75 years old. He's still not a spring chicken. And it says this in Romans 4.19. This is speaking of Abram. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. So Abram lived to 190 He's 75. He's not even halfway through his life. I'm 52. I guess I'm about as good as dead. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God told him that he would be a great nation, Yet he knew his wife was barren. He went anyways because he believed God's promise. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. What do we know about the Canaanites? They were cursed, weren't they? They were cursed. And I don't know much about them. But you know the legend was as they were cursed. And I think when Abram landed there and he saw that the land that he was going to inherit was already occupied by the Canaanites, he's thinking, what now? What now? Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. The Lord seems to reveal his promises in degrees. Think back to verse 1. Abram said, go to the land that I will show you. Abram didn't know where he he was going. Now he tells him what? To your offspring I will give this land. Abram didn't know what this land was until he took off in faith to know what was there. After God told Abram that he was going to give him the land... Next thing it says in the second part of verse 7, So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Whenever there's an altar, it's worship. And we see this all through Abram's life. Obedience 
in worship. Obedience in worship. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And Bethel on the west and A on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Literally means to proclaim the name of the Lord. The Canaanites worshipped idols. And Abram not only boldly stepped out in faith, but he shamelessly and boldly proclaimed the name of the Lord in the midst of the Canaanites. And after that, he got up and he continued to journey towards the Negev. Then the Negev is further south in Canaan. There's a lot in this passage. There's maybe should have just done verses 1 through 3 today. But what we're going to see as we study Abram's life over the next couple of months, probably, it goes through about chapter 25, is that Abram is a lot like you and I, where he obeys and then he acts in fear. And we're going to see that reality next week when he goes down into Egypt because of the famine and he tells a half lie because he doesn't trust the Lord. He's fearful. 2 Corinthians 4.18 and verse 5.1 says this, And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're coming and they're going. But the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. It says we walk by faith and not by sight. And i got a couple questions for you. What is the Lord telling you to do that you've not had enough faith to believe Him for? What's the Lord telling you to do? If the Lord's not telling you to do anything, you're not listening. Because God is speaking to us today just as loud and clear as He was speaking to Abram then. He speaks through His Word. He speaks through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He speaks through the counsel of others. What are you holding back? Ask the Lord to give you courage. If He's clearly told you to do something, ask Him for Him to give you courage. Seek counsel from godly men and women. And have others pray for you. One of the things that's going on in our life right now is that we rent a house. We rent a house. We're paying about $300 too much a month for our house. Market's here. We're paying here. Because we had a lease with option to buy. Well, the house price has done this, so there's no reason to buy the house anymore. So we're asking the Lord what He wants us to do there. Really small example, I know. Not real spiritual. But we really want to stay in this neighborhood. But I feel like I'm getting ripped off on the rent a little bit. And sometimes it's hard to understand what the Lord wants you to do when you have an agenda. And we have an agenda, honestly. We want, we want to stay in the neighborhood. We want to stay in the neighborhood. And maybe the Lord will have us stay in the neighborhood. But God cares about the details, about things like paying too much rent. Maybe you've got a situation where you have a neighbor, where you've been talking about inviting that neighbor over for weeks, maybe months, maybe years, and you haven't done it. The c- conviction's not for me. The, There's no guilt from me. Whatever the Lord's put on your heart, these are some personal examples from my life where Nancy and I have talked about having a certain family over for a long time. 
And when something doesn't go away, a lot of times it's from the Lord. Ask the Lord to give you courage. Seek counsel. Have others pray for you. Another question I'd like you to consider. Are you worshiping the Lord regardless of your circumstances? I don't all the time. Dang. You know, I get caught up in not worshiping the Lord on the sidelines of a soccer game, my goodness. Much less the big things of life. Are you worshiping the Lord regardless of your circumstances? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Thank the Lord in what? Always and in all things. It's not a suggestion. And I would tell you that if, if, you're, if you're not at a... If, if, if you're, this life of being a Christian is a direction. We're not going to be perfect until we're in heaven. And His mercies are new every day. And we have so much joy just knowing that He is with us always and that we can do all things in Christ Jesus who strengthens us. But i got to tell you if, if you, if you haven't got to a point where you're able to give thanks in trials and tests, ask the Lord to give you the strength to do that. Because you're missing it. You're missing the true joy of walking with Jesus. Another help is ask the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation. You know, when, I, when I'm in a funk, when I'm in a funk, you know, ever in a funk? You get a funk. You wake up on the wrong side of bed. And about the only thing that will get me out of that funk is one is a brother that loves me slapping me upside the head. The other is, is asking the Lord to restore or to renew the joy of my salvation. Because when we remember what it is the Lord did for us and what it is we deserve, what the Lord did for us and what every one of you deserve, it can't help but just draw us to thankful hearts. And third is like that is remember Christ's finished work on the cross. Meditate on gospel-centered verses, gospel-centered books. Read the book of Colossians. Read Romans chapter 2 through 8. Read books by Mulhaney, by Bridges, by Piper that point you to the cross. I have no idea what the title of this message is. But what the Lord's done in my heart is that I need to walk by faith and not by sight like Abram. Walk by faith, not by sight. Let's pray. God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you that that we have your eyes and that we have your ears. And that we thank you that you are our vision. We thank you, God, that you are our strategy. We thank you that you give us everything we need for life and for godliness. We thank you for the joy that we have in knowing you, in knowing that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, God, that you give us everything we need for life and godliness and that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. And God, would you just meet us each here today, wherever, Lord, wherever I messed up, wherever I offended, Lord, I just pray that you would erase that, and I pray that the power of your word would penetrate our hearts, that we would leave here more in love, more surrendered to you than we were when we walked in, that we would leave here not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.